Look what we have here, an incredibly special guest, somebody that I have been looking forward to talking to for a very, very long time. Before we get going with the Good Reverend, I just want to let people know where tnholler.com is where you can find us at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook. And because of your support, we have 10 hollers hollering across Tennessee trying to yell the truth about what's going on here. And that's all because of your support. So thank you so much. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II is with us. Such an honor, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. Man, it's my honor. Look, I'm getting used to that term holler. You know, my granddaddy was born in West Virginia, but I have heard that when there's an echo, when the hollers start hollering, and that's the echo we want to go across this nation, that you're not going to ignore poor folk in the hollers or poor folk in the hood. All of us getting ready to come together to reshape this nation. I think that's so well said. And that's kind of why we named it what we did, because we wanted to reach out to the places that a lot of this messaging isn't getting out to. And nobody does a better job of that than you do. There's one thing I've been meaning to talk to you about for two years. This is you on MLK Day two years ago when (laughs) Governor Lee had just taken office. And for some reason, somebody in his team thought it was a good idea to throw him on a stage with you. And this is what happened. So politicians can't say they love Dr. King and how he stood for love and unity, but then you deny and refuse to support his agenda. Right, Governor? Oh, and that's Governor Lee right in the corner, right behind him. All right, I'm not going to play the whole thing, although I really, really want to, but I know your time is limited. At what point did you know you were going to do that? Well, the truth of the matter, I've been bothered for a while. I've done it before at these people who come on King Day and don't care one bit about poor folk, about dealing with racism, militarism, gender of Dr. King. And we've turned it into some pageantry as though Dr. King was a human relations specialist and not a prophet and a dissenter of the injustices in our nation. And then they sit up there with all this pomp and circumstance and they'll get up, especially politicians, and say something like, I tutor black children as though that's something. And if Dr. King was there, they wouldn't even be on the stage. And what happened that day, I was really bothered. It was right after my brother had died. I just wasn't in a mood to be played with. And so before they tried to take a picture with me. So I asked the governor, well, what's your position? If you're gonna take a picture with me, Then I thought about the stats in Tennessee, the millions of people in poverty, whether it be in Appalachia or in the city of Memphis or Nashville. And then I Googled him real quick and I looked at his his whole platform. I said, how can you do it? I mean, I wouldn't do it. I just would stay home. My grandmama used to say, you can't say something good, then just stay home. Don't be a hypocrite. So it just dawned on me, why are you sitting here? And of course I said, after that, everybody that's for health care, stand up. Dr. King is for health care. He wouldn't stand up. Everybody's for living wages. He wouldn't stand up. Now, I heard that he got mad. But what was interesting is some of the black folk there, Rev, man, good gracious. What? You, this is a Monitor King day, the one day we ought to be true to the issues of poverty and justice. And then I heard he called some people and he said he was coming back the next year, but he left early. See, and that's what most of them do. They want to come and speak and they want, that's their black event. Mm-hmm. That's their one event. They come and speak and then they leave. And I'm of the opinion, you ought not even get on the stage if you don't agree with the agenda of Dr. King. Don't get up there and lie. Don't try to turn Dr. King into a pussycat when he was alive. When Dr. King was 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 his last days, you know where he was in the hollows of Appalachia and in the Delta of Mississippi. That's where Dr. King was. And after he talked and challenged the war in Vietnam and started talking about poverty and militarism, racism, 
The White House took his guest invitation. 150 newspapers wrote against him. The only people that were really supporting him were a few of his staff members and poor folk and the peace movement because he decided that he had to tell the truth all the way. And we just got to stop this, man. You know, people getting a free ride. In the Bible, it says, woe unto you who love the tombs of the prophets. In other words, you don't like the prophets alive. You love the tombs of the mm. prophets. And I don't think you should participate in that kind of cynical hypocrisy. Well, it was a beautiful thing. And we posted probably seven clips from that day, one after the other. It was just so amazing because eventually you had you brought all these kids up there. And it was all right in front of Governor Lee and making the point that you cannot and I was, sta stand and against I was, everything he and stands. I wasn't trying to be mean. I was actually right. hoping that it would touch him to repent. See, I'm right. a preacher. Love has to tell the truth. Love doesn't lie to you. Love will tell you the truth. A lot of people are doing this kind of stuff because we allow it. You know, we put them on the program. You know, we allow people. I was in Selma one time, my brother, and we were at the um, church where they marched from on Bloody Sunday. And the attorney general came into that church. They, somebody, somebody being nice, put him on the program, and he stood up there and began to suggest that photo ID and other things was the outcome of the Selma to Montgomery March and it honored them, which photo ID is a form of voter suppression. And I stood up with some other folk and said, no. And one of the preachers said, no, 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 no. This is God's house. I said, "If that's right. It's God's house. So he can't lie <laughs> in right. here. And they said, well, we will let everybody talk. They made about 50 of us leave. They put us out of the church. But that's okay, because the one thing that he wasn't going to do that day, while the blood is in the wood of those benches, those are the original benches in that church. And the people came back from that mark, that bridge bleeding, and the blood is soaked into those men. And you're not going to come in there with some of us who know the truth and tell a lie and support voter suppression in the very church where people marked from for voting rights. That's, you just can't do that kind of stuff and be true to yourself. You actually made a similar point in your sermon today, I believe, about Juneteenth. The same thing is happening with Juneteenth. The same governors are putting out proclamations, seeing the same senators who say they love MLK but stand against everything that he stood for. You're pointing out that we have to keep pointing out the hypocrisy of all of this. The more we codify hypocrisy, the worse it gets. First of all, Juneteenth wasn't nothing happy about it. That was a that was the people finding out they had been lied to for two years. <laughs> that was two hundred and fifty people, a thousand, a quarter million people finding out they had been lied to and had suffered two more years under the most brutal slavery. Louisiana and Texas had some of the most brutal slavery. On top of that, how in the world can you vote to honor Juneteenth and then vote? against addressing voting rights and block living wages and block health care. That is the worst form of political, cynical hypocrisy that I have ever seen. And we better call it out because if not, governments, whether they be ancient or contemporary, have a way of taking those things that cause the masses to stand up and changing them and making the very thing that should cause us to stand up serve, if I was preaching, the cause of Caesar and the cause of injustice. And that's what could happen. Juneteenth should be a commemoration to me, not a holiday, a commemoration. What happened, what slavery was, and how we must address the vestiges of it today. And it should also be a commemoration that it was black and white people that stood together against slavery. In fact, it was black people, white people, and Latinos because Mexico was anti-slavery before America. That's why the Alamo happened. The mm -hmm. Alamo wasn't about 
these courageous Texans. I hate to talk about David Crockett from Tennessee, but the truth <laughs> of the matter is the Alamo was about people who didn't want to give up their slaves because Mexico had become anti-slavery and they wanted to hold on because Texas was Mexico. California was Mexico. Arizona, New Mexico were New Mexico. We've been distort told so many distortions that we can't afford to keep living in those things today if we're ever going to really deal with these vestiges of racism. Since you just mentioned the twisted history, I would just love your thoughts about this critical race theory faux outrage happening big time here in Tennessee. You know, they just passed a law here, essentially made this their latest boogeyman for tribalism yeah. and stoking racial tensions. See, they can't keep the truth. The truth is going to come out. Now, think about the word that they're complaining about. Everybody that goes to college is taught to be critical. <laughs> that's, that's what a college, that's what an education is supposed to do. All critical race theory is, is saying you must relook at history through the lens of race and racism that has often been denied and how the laws and the policies of the nation were written in a way to preserve racism. It was a white man named Calhoun that said in America, when you sat down to write a Declaration of Independence or sat down to write a Constitution, the issue of racism and slavery was always underneath the table like a cobra ready to strike any time mm -hmm. someone tried to remove now, here's my simplest thing. History itself should be critical race. Just history should be truthful. But we've told so many lies. In 1914 or 15, Woodrow Wilson played Birth of a Nation that told the false history of the Ku Klux Klan and said the Klan saved the nation. And he played that and said it was true history. That was a lie. He did it in the Oval Office. He made it was the first movie with sound. And he played it in the Oval Office and said, that's lightning in a bottle. That's the history we need. We've continued to do that. And we have to go back and undo this stuff. Now, here's what the problem is, though. And I'm going to put it real simple for you. The reason some people are so upset is because it's hard to admit that your mama lied to you. That's the problem. See, when you when you truly go back and look at history and understand racism and not just how it hurt black people, but how it hurt poor white people, too. You know, there's a history about slavery. The rich slave masters made the politicians pass a rule that if you had so many slaves, your sons didn't have to fight in the Civil War. So after the Civil War, poor white people found out that they had been used. That's why poor white people and poor black people were the ones that formed the first Reconstruction. And that's why those that promoted slavery and promoted Jim Crow hated them. The Klan was first founded not to scare black people, but to scare white people from organizing with black people. And the great fear of racism in this country has always been black-white coalitions that stand together and fight against the aristocracy. Absolutely. Now, if all your life been told something else, when you learn the truth, you're either going to have to admit your mama lied to you, your daddy lied to you, or you're going to have to deny the truth. And that's what's really going on right now in this country. It's a psychological tension, but we've got to address it because the nation can't be whole until we be honest. Part of that addressing it is tomorrow. Last year on June 20th, we were going to be in Washington, D.C. for a mass poor people's assembly moral march on Washington and bring together black, white, brown, Asian, native and indigenous people to address five issues, systemic racism, systemic poverty, ecological devastation, denial of health care, the war economy, and the false moral narrative of religious nationalism. We couldn't because of COVID. 2.7 million people showed up online. This year, we decided we're going to do it again, but we're launching 365 days of organizing to next year, we're going to have a mass poor people's low-wage workers assembly moral march on Washington in person. We now have a vision called Third Reconstruction, 
ending poverty and low wages from the bottom up. This country has had two reconstructions, one in the 1800s, one in the 1960s. We need a third. The first two were assassinated and killed. But it's time for the people to rise again. People from Appalachia to Alabama. The agenda has been vetted. The issue is not the scarcity of money or the scarcity of ideas. It's the scarcity of moral consciousness. And so we, the people, are going to have to do that work. we got to change the narrative and build power. 65 million people in this country are poor and low wealth, 30% of the electorate. We know what could happen if we just took 20% of the waste in our military budget to fix issues of poverty. We can address 87 million people without health care. We can make sure people have $15 in a union. We can do these things. We can change how we measure voted poverty in this country. You know, it's 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country and over 62 million that make less than $17 an hour, and not one politician has ever paid themselves less than a minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Not one politician has ever turned away free health care. We pay their salary. They are the hired help. We are the people. And that's why we're having this virtual gathering. It's part of it will be in person in North Carolina, but it's going to be virtual all over the world. And then we want to start signing people up. I know Tennessee and the hollers are going to be there. We, don't, we want to put thousands. And I promise you this, when we get to Washington, you're not going to hear leaders speaking for poor and low wealth people. We're building this stage for poor and low wealth people to speak for themselves, to tell their stories, to say their demands, exercise their power, because we've learned now in 15 states in this country right now, if poor and low people, wealth people vote between one and 25% on an agenda, They can determine who sits in the Senate, who sits in the presidency, who sits in the governorship. We are not without power. And my speech tomorrow is going to be, we've got work to do. If we're going to reconstruct this country, we've got work to do. And there's a scripture, your folk up in the hollers know, because folk up there know the Bible. It's Psalm 118. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. And this is the day that the Lord has made. The rejected people of this country, poor white folk, and low-wealth white folk, poor and low-wealth black folk, poor and low-wealth Asians, and so forth and so on, are the rejected stones. Politicians don't even talk about the poor. Finally, we got a president. We pushed him hard, and he said, poor and poverty has to be a theory change, but you can't just let him say it. You got to keep pushing. But the rejected stones, those have been rejected because of their poverty, those have been rejected because of race, those have been rejected because of their sexuality, those have been rejected because of their religion or non-religion. They, we are now the building blocks, the chief cornerstone of reshaping the American economic architecture and the very way in which this country functions. And it's time, brother. I think so many people need to hear what you have to say. Just as a last thing, I know you've given us so much time already. I really do appreciate it. We're in a state, Tennessee, that has not seen the progress that a lot of the other states around us have, Georgia, North Carolina, even Virginia and the state legislature. A lot of people, I think, wonder how do we make progress here? Is there any kind of words of wisdom or pep talk you can give our Tennessee folks to let them know that you know there is hope and to keep grinding? Well, you know what? I want to come back on and do a whole thing with you on Tennessee. And I want to show you Tennesseans have the power, but a lot of people just have not participated Mm -hmm. because they've been so turned off and they've been waiting for a politician to say, what they want to hear. In fact, when we did this study with Columbia University, they said the number one reason poor, low-wealth people don't vote is because they never hear anybody talking about them and they never see anybody talking to them. Then that means you've got to decide to make them hear you and make them talk to you. Mm. And that means you can't sit out. The number of poor and low-wealth people in Tennessee 
who are eligible to vote outnumber any vote margin in your state. And poor and low wealth people, for the most part, don't vote. When they do vote, they tend to vote progressive. People have been lying on poor and low wealth people and say they vote for Trump and vote. No, no. People who make under $50,000 a year vote most of the time progressive. But a lot of times they just quit voting because nobody comes to them. Well, there's a point at which you have to make them come. Secondly, poor and low wealth people have got to get in the streets. They've got to holler, H-O-L-L-E-R. And we may have to be willing to do nonviolent civil disobedience to change the narrative. That's why we want as many Tennesseans in D.C. next year. In America, you've got to change the narrative. And I don't know any time, any place in American history where it did not take four things to make some progress. Legislation, litigation, voter participation, and then street agitation. You can have the other three, but if you don't have that moral dissent in the street or in the hollers or on the back roads and the country roads, then ultimately you will not have the change that you seek. That's why we have a Tennessee Poor People's Campaign. And because they killed the movement the last time, they shot Dr. King in Memphis. Next year, my last stop is going to be in Tennessee before we get to D.C. because it's time for Tennessee to be no longer known as the place of crucifixion, but instead the place of resurrection. Man, so I'm that, coming to Tennessee and I want to go to Memphis, but I want to go to the holler. I want to come do a major speech and walk with folk in the holler and in the city of Memphis because the last time they shot the prophet on the way to D.C. Well, we have set it up like this. We have poor people campaigns in every state. They can't kill us all. That's why we've done it like this. I say it's not me. My job is just to be a coach, if you will, a voice. And with Dr. Liz Theo Harris and to build a stage so that the nation can hear the folks. So we need to holler the holler and we need buses like mad to come out of Tennessee and be on that stage so that in that midterm election, this country will feel the power of the 30% of its electorate, which is now poor and low wealth. And I guarantee you, if we exhibit our power, both in the courts, in the legislative halls, in the voting booth, and in the street, and stay with it, what a day of rejoicing it's going to be when the stones that the builders rejected become the chief cornerstone of building a new society. Reverend Barber, thank you so much for that. We will definitely be there with you wherever you are in Tennessee, anytime, however we can help, holler what's going on, lift up what you're doing. It's so important. You mentioned street agitation. We do have some of that here. You know, Justin Jones, I believe, is a young man you might know. Uh, yeah. uh, he he has been at the forefront of so much of that and actually has a court date next month because they yeah. hassled him so much. So we'll be there for that too. But please, Keep us in your mind. And if you come through, we'd love to be there with you and lifting up what you're doing. And I, I can't tell you enough how appreciative I am that you spent this time with us today. Now, how big is your reach? Do you reach West Virginia and, the, and Appalachia over there? Too? We actually have a West Virginia holler. We only have one holler that's outside Tennessee, and it's in West Virginia, very much because of what West Virginia represents. Well, I tell you what, you all get together in Appalachia and find a way I can come on somebody's station regularly, but talk to all of Appalachia. In some way, with this computer technology, we ought to be able to hook up the hollers in West Virginia, the Holland, Tennessee. Y'all figure it out, and 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 I'll be on if it means monthly or every other week because I'm serious about this. Brother. Absolutely, count us in. Appreciate you Thank so you. much. Be safe. Join us tomorrow at five we'll thirty. God bless Absolutely. you. Take care, my brother.
So that was the amazing, the one and only Reverend Barber. Hard to even believe that happened. I'm such a fan of that guy. We will absolutely follow up with him and try to make lifting up his messaging a reality. You know, if it means launching hollers all throughout Appalachia, we'll do it. We have one in West Virginia. We have 10 in Tennessee, but we need more. You know, we got to reach the poor folks that he's talking about because he's right. Poor people don't vote. Tennessee's at the bottom in voter turnout. What he's saying, which I believe to be true, is it's because they don't hear themselves talked about enough. You know, what they do here is not true because we just don't really have the ability to get the message to them when all they're hearing is a constant drumbeat of Fox News disinformation. And, you know, when their local county papers just don't do the job. So, We'll do all we can to break through that. Man, I can't think of a voice that would be more helpful in doing that than Reverend Barber. And hearing him talk about Tennessee in that way as an important stop along the way that he's going to end here in Memphis, man, that would be amazing. And, you know, it just shows that there is hope if people invest their time and energy and, yes, resources in Tennessee. Reverend Barber thinks there is a future where we move the state forward. And I know it's hard to see that sometimes, but I believe him. You know, the states that are turning purple or getting more progressive now, they felt hopeless too, not too long ago. So keep working, everybody. We'll keep hollering the truth and we'll keep reaching out to amazing people like Reverend Dr. Barber. This was a huge thrill for me. Thank you guys for joining. Follow the hollers all across the state. Happy Father's Day. And we'll see you this week. Tennessee. Woo! Yeah. Tennessee. To Tennessee.